got your Bibles, Luke chapter 2, kind of the concluding parts of the Christmas story we'll be looking at this morning. And while we'll be looking at verses 25 through 35, I just want to read Simeon's song in verses 29 through 32 while you're standing this morning. I'm talking about his crowning glory. We've been in this uh, five-part series at Christmas called Crown Him, our Advent series, and we're talking this morning about his crowning glory. And here's the song of Simeon. Now, Master, you can dismiss your servant in peace as you promise, for my eyes have seen your salvation. You have prepared it in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles or to the nations, and glory to your people Israel. Father, we thank you that Jesus is the very crowning glory of God made known to us when the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Lord, just as you came that first Advent, there's coming a second Advent. And may we anticipate it just as they anticipated the first. And may we see your crowning glory. Lord, help us today to learn how we can Lay our crowns at your feet every day, recognizing you as the king of our hearts and our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated this morning, this Christmas day. This is a wonderful passage that Luke records. You know, he gives us more of the Christmas story than any of the other gospel writers, and it's because I believe it's because he was a physician and he was blown away with the whole idea of the virgin birth, and so he details all the account around the very virgin birth of the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And he also wants to make it known to all the nations, being a Gentile himself and a close associate of the apostles. Julia Ward Howe, anybody recognize that name? She wrote a song that we call the Battle Hymn of the Republic, or some just call it Glory, Glory, Hallelujah. Uh, around here, more people are more familiar with glory, glory to old Georgia than they are with glory, glory, hallelujah, or the battle hymn of the republic. But you know what we're talking about when we say the battle hymn. She was inspired by post-millennial preachers. In that day, uh, it was a resurgence of post-millennial or an emergence, if you will, of post-millennial theology. That just simply means that they believed that it was up to Christians, mankind, excuse me, Christians to usher in the eternal kingdom of God or the millennial kingdom of God, which would lead to the eternal kingdom of God, that we would somehow get better and better as a people because of the influence of Christianity, that the world would become a better place, and even through the taking over governments and even in the time of the writing of the battle hymn, even through military, even through warfare, that God's rule and reign would be established. Of course, the battle hymn was written during the period of civil war and unrest in America. And there's a reference in those first lines to the first advent and second advent of Christ, but post-millennial thinking was that the second advent was also part of the first advent that Jesus would come. And so it says, mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord, just as Simeon had seen the glory of God. He says, I can depart in peace because I have seen the coming of God's salvation, the glory of his people Israel. And then there's a reference to Revelation chapter 14 in the battle hymn when it talks about uh, the wrath of God that is 
trampling in that wine press of his wrath, Revelation chapter 14. The, the battle hymn kind of ties all that together and then builds to a crescendo in its chorus, glory, glory, hallelujah, as if Christians and the church of Christ would usher in through the advancement of the gospel and winning people. And by the way, folks, I'm a premillennialist, not a postmillennialist. I believe that the next event on the prophetic calendar is the rapture of the church and that we're going to be out of here, and that Jesus, at the end of a seven-year period of tribulation, he will usher in the second advent, the millennial reign of Christ, the, what we call the second coming of Christ. However, at the first advent, his glory was made known to this world, and it's established in the hearts and lives of men and women, boys and girls. The kingdom of God is marching on. The kingdom of God is advancing one heart at a time, through those who put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And when he comes again, he is going to establish that millennial reign and then the eternal kingdom forever and ever and ever. Well, what was Simeon talking about, the glory of your people Israel, or how was this looking forward to a Messiah coming, ushering in a glory into this world? The word glory in the Greek, doxa, has to do with beauty and majesty, and sometimes in verb form, the fact that we ascribe majesty and beauty. More specifically, in the New Testament, it became known of the majesty and the perfection of Christ and our recognition of that when the angels would say, glory to God in the highest. They were saying there is nothing better that can happen than God himself make himself known to you. And that's why sometimes in our worship service, when God reveals something to us through his word or his Holy Spirit illuminates that to us, we can't help sometimes but to say glory or hallelujah, praise the Lord for what God is making known to us. So if we really believe that the best is yet to come, and we do, that it's not going to be the war of humanity that ushers in the kingdom of God, but ultimately... When Jesus says, that's enough, and he comes back to end the war of all wars, Armageddon, that will usher in the millennial reign and the eternal kingdom after that, then how was his glory being revealed? How are we crowning him with glory daily? I want us to see in Simeon's life three things this morning. Number one, the glory of his anticipation. The glory of his anticipation. Now we'll go back to verse 25. It says that there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was a righteous and devout man. He was looking forward to Israel's consolation, a way of referencing the first advent. And the Holy Spirit was on him. So the Holy Spirit had come upon, as it did under uh, Old Testament times, rather than being filled with the Spirit in the way that we are today, with the Holy Spirit taking residence in our life, the Holy Spirit would come upon people that were righteous and looking for a work of God or making themselves available for a work of God. In Simeon, we don't know a lot about him. He seems to be a lay servant in the temple who made himself available regularly. He was not a priest that showed up just when it was his appointed time, but he was someone who made himself, that whoever was serving as priest in the temple, Simeon was saying, I'm here to serve. And, and so there may have been an official capacity, most likely a layman type capacity, just saying, I'm a servant there. His anticipation had him where he was supposed to be to see what God was going to do. 
righteous and devout, looking for him, filled with the Spirit. Let me ask you this. I am so grateful you're here on Christmas Day. But do you live your life Lord's Day after Lord's Day and Monday through Saturday as well saying, man, I'm anticipating something from God today. I'm anticipating something in corporate worship. I'm anticipating something in my quiet time. I'm looking forward to seeing God at work and doing something that only God can do. Do you live with that sense of anticipation? Do you anticipate his second coming, that one day he could come back? And are you living your life in a way that you would be found faithful if he came back today? Well, Simeon was certainly found faithful. And the Holy Spirit had showed him something. You're not going to die until you see the Christ, the Lord's Messiah, verse 26 says. So guided by the Spirit, he entered the temple where he was supposed to be doing what he was supposed to be doing. We often miss God because we're simply not where we're supposed to be doing what God has called us to do. When the parents brought in the child, Christ, to perform for him what was customary under the law. This was the second ceremony, the, the dedication of the child. The first would typically happen in the home. That would have been the circumcision uh, for the Jewish males on the eighth day. The second was the dedication, maybe up to a month later. It was often at the same time that it would be time for Mary's purification, which was also part of Jewish ceremony after giving birth. And a lot of that, again, would happen around a month after the birth of Christ. So Jesus, or the baby, and Jesus could have been about a month old at this time. Simeon wasn't going to miss this day. He was where he was supposed to be, anticipating Hey, God has spoken. God has said he's going to show up and do something. I'm going to be there. Are you living your life with great anticipation? You know, there's nothing like knowing this is the next thing that's going to happen. I mean, you ask any kid. They've been, you know, one of the most exciting days is Christmas Eve because the next day is Christmas. Do we live with that type of anticipation every day? I used to think that the most fun of going to a theme park was not actually riding the roller coaster but being next when you could say, man, I'm next. That's anticipation. Is there a spirit of anticipation in your life about what God is going to do next? That's the glory of his anticipation that Christ is going to show up and he's going to do something that only he can do. Next, we see the glory of his arrival. That day would actually come. And Simeon would see, as we see in verses 28 and following, would take up Christ in his arms and he couldn't do anything but praise God. The Holy Spirit had revealed that this day had come, and he says, Master, you can dismiss your servant in peace as you promised. Can, can you imagine living your life in such a way that you could say, Lord, if you're finished with me, I'm ready to go anytime. Most people don't live their life ready to go at any time. Most Christians don't live their life as if they're ready for God to bring them home at any time. Oh, but when you're doing what God's called you to do where he's called you to do it, and you can lay your head on your pillow at night saying, I've been faithful to you today, then you will have the peace of God that passes all understanding that if he's ready for you, you're ready to go at any time. Now, Master, your servant can depart in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation. He was looking upon Jesus he would have been named by this time in the Greek, Jesus, in the Hebrew, Yeshua. It's the name we call Joshua and Jesus in English, but it just simply means 
God's salvation. There's one mediator between God and man. That is the man Christ Jesus. Messiah would be Jesus. He would be Yeshua. He would be God's salvation. You have prepared it in the presence of all peoples, and this will be a light of revelation that goes back to John's gospel. The Word had become flesh so that we could see and behold the glory of God, His crowning glory. As we saw in the four Christological passages that were referenced over the past four weeks, we see the crowning glory of God in Jesus and in Jesus alone. This light of revelation to the Gentiles or to all nations and the glory to your people, Israel, the glory of his arrival. Christ has come. That's the good news of Christmas today. Man, these wonderful gifts, and I'm so glad that the kids were reminding Pastor Ben that it's also Jesus' birthday because that is the greatest gift you can give your children, and that is to introduce them to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Christ has come. Simeon was saying he is here. He has arrived, and I'm telling you, church, he is still here, but you're saying he ascended. Jesus said, Hebrews 13, 5, quoting from Deuteronomy, I will never leave you nor forsake you. He is as here today through his spirit as he was here in the flesh in Jesus. Christ, the very spirit of Christ living in you and me. He is here. He said to his disciples to go and make disciples of all nations. And I am with you always, even till the ends of the earth. A song when I was reading the glory of his arrival, reading about the glory of his arrival, a song came to my mind written by Kirk Talley years ago. Any fans of the Talleys from back in the day, about the 1980s? Am I the only one? Kirk Talley wrote, he is here. Hallelujah, he is here. Amen, he is here. Holy, holy, I will bless his name again. Then he said this, he is here. Listen closely Hear him calling out your name. He is here. You can touch him, and you will never be the same. Have you touched him today? Oh, he is here. That's the crowning glory of his arrival, and finally we see the crowning glory of his aspiration. Let's not forget what he came to do. Simeon, in the glory of this moment, still had some difficult words to say, and these words prepare us for the Lord's table this morning. His father and mother, verse 33, were amazed at what was being said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and told his mother Mary, indeed, this child is destined to cause the fall and the rise of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be opposed. See, he had come into his own, his own received him not. This Messiah would not establish that millennial reign in his first coming. No, that's part of the second advent, the first coming of Christ, fulfilling Isaiah 53, Psalm 22, and many other messianic passages. The first coming of Christ, he would come as a suffering servant to take on the sin of the world, and the world would by and large reject the cross. But Jesus would embrace the cross for me and for you, and that would cause division in this world. And what would that cross do? He said, Mary, this this is going to be a sword, verse 35, that will pierce your own soul. 
you're going to be alive, Mary, until your son is crucified. And the sword's going to pierce your own soul. It's going to break your heart. Thoughts of many will be revealed. Some will be yelling, crucify him. Others will, like the Apostle Paul, glory in the cross. The cross would be a crowning glory because he would conquer that by rising again from the dead, establishing a way for me and for you to access eternal life forever and ever. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2 tells us that for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. And his crowning glory would be me and you, those who would put their faith and trust in him. For that he was willing to die. That's his crowning glory. And yes, one day he's coming again. And when glory, glory is played the next time, by the way, it's not going to be the lone trumpeter in Sanford Stadium. <laughs> 1 Thessalonians 4 tells us that at the voice of an archangel and the trumpet of God, we're going to be out of here. <laughs> and we will be around his throne singing glory and honor and power and praise unto the Lamb of God who was slain before the foundation of the world. What does that mean before the foundation of the world? Meaning that when God created us, giving us a choice, he knew what we would do with that choice, that we would sin, but that he had a plan in place that God would become man, that he would die on a cross for your sin and for mine, that he would rise to give us life everlasting, and that whosoever, as the kids told us a moment ago, just as profound at any age, that whosoever believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? That's his crowning glory this Christmas. It would be a shame if you had not trusted in him as your Lord and Savior. I want you to make an, your chair an altar today with your hearts humble before God, with your heads bowed before him. If you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I would beg of you, I would challenge you today, put your faith in him. Trust in what he did on the cross when he died for your sin and for mine. Believe that he rose from the dead. Some of you can't deny it because the Holy Spirit is convicting your heart even right now. And say, Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. I believe you died for my sin and rose to give me life. And so I turn from self and sin and I trust, I believe in you as the Messiah. I give you my life. Help me to grow in your grace to become whom you've called me to be. With no one looking around, I just wonder if that's the prayer of your heart. Would you just lift your hand and say, that's me today. I'm trusting in Jesus as my Lord, my Savior. Just hold it up high till I see it. Any age, any stage of life, that's me. Amen. Any others, just hold it up. Amen. How many of you would say, I know that I'm a child of God. This Christmas day, I commit to live 
with greater anticipation, greater awareness of his arrival. And I look forward to his coming again. Just recommit yourself afresh and anew, right where you sit. Amen. Father, we thank you for your crowning glory, your son Jesus, and that we get to be trophies of your grace, what your power and your saving grace can do. May we glory in that today. May we glory in Christ and Christ alone. We pray this in his name. Amen.